the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome. This is episode 184 of the Filmmakers Podcast, sponsored this week by those crafty people at Screencraft. One, two, three, four. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today we are talking to the fantastic Caroline Goodall. Not only is she an actress, not only is she a producer, but she is also a screenwriter of the fantastic film which is out now literally today, called Bay of Silence. It is amazing. The film stars Klaus Bang, Olga Kurilenko and Brian Cox. And myself and Robbie McCain sat down and had a brilliant chat with Caroline, even though she was in Croatia, even though she was in a hotel room with really terrible internet, we still managed to do it. Not only that, but she had a COVID test in the middle of our recording. We wanted her to do it live. Which he did, but unfortunately she had to go out of the room to do it. But that would have been fascinating. For us, more than you, because you'd have just heard, you know, sniffing and stuff. But for us, we'd have seen what happened on a movie, because she's on a movie right now. But anyway, we're here to talk about The Bay of Silence and the episode with Caroline Goodall, who goes into so much detail about how she made, basically, her debut screenwriting and producing movie. Now, Caroline has been acting for many, many years and you'll know her from movies such as Hook, Schindler's List, Cliffhanger, um, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is coming out soon, and Hunter Killer, just to name a few of her amazing credits. But here, she's producer and screenwriter, as well as being in the movie. Bay of Sounds was directed by Paula Van der Oost. As she talks to you and us how she adapted uh, Bay of Silence from a novel, how she managed to get the cast of Klaus Bang, Olga Kurilenko and Brian Cox on board, how she got Signature distributing the movie. She also talks about working in COVID and how that's affected movie making. She talks about getting advice from Maggie Smith and some amazing influences in her life from one Robin Williams. And she goes into detail about her audition with Robin Williams and a certain Mr. Stephen Spielberg. Not only did she get directed by Steve uh, in Hook, but also Schindler's List, the Oscar-winning masterpiece, but also working with Ridley Scott as well. And this, I feel, is important. And any takeaways you can get from this today are all about how Caroline made Bay of Silence. And one of those things was understanding the business side of it, understanding how investors want to be talked to, understanding how you can actually raise that money. How she got those investors on board is a great part of this podcast this week. Oh yeah, this is our episode with Caroline Goodall. It's brilliant. It's coming up very soon because I, first of all, I do have to tell you, and you probably know this already, and I'm smiling inside because it is one week away from the dare being released in the UK. Now you could say, Giles, so what? You've banged on about this enough. No one cares. I care. I care. Uh, <laughs> I am delighted to just get it out. It's four years. Uh, it's this whole podcast of talking about this movie. It's finally out in the UK. Obviously, if you're in USA and Canada and Holland and Hong Kong and so many other places, you can already watch the movie, should you wish. But from Monday, next week, the 5th of October, all the people in the UK, people, friends of mine have been banging on about for ages, can go watch The Dare. Excellent. So that is that. The day is out next week. Excellent. Oh, and what I'm going to do for you, for you lovely, lovely people, is do a podcast special next Tuesday. I'm going to get in some of the cast and crew from the dare to kind of do what we did with King Arthur. But obviously, because it's four years ago for some of them, um, they've got to try and rack their brains and try and remember what happened on the movie. So I'm going to bring some of the cast and crew in on that. So that is next week's episode, the dare special. But before then, as a treat for you because 
This episode today is with Caroline Goodall talking about Bay of Silence, of course, right? One of the stars of that movie also had a chat to us. Oh yeah, that's right. Klaus Bang, ladies and gentlemen. Bang! Shall it bang? No, Klaus Bang, legend himself, brilliant actor, the lead in Dracula on BBC recently, um, the lead in the last season of The Affair, amazing guy, and he sat down and chatted to me and Robbie as well, but there was so much to put into one episode, I thought why not split them up into two, so it's Caroline today, and then it's Klaus, Klaus Bang, legend himself, talking about Bay of Silence on Friday, double whammy for you this week, and um, (laughs) I'm too excited, I've just had a coffee. Very excited. So, this week's episode is sponsored by Screencraft. Um, And obviously, we're talking on this episode with Caroline Goodall about adapting a novel into a screenplay. Well, um, this week, the promotion from Screencraft is Cinematic Book Writing Competition. So, is your book, is your novel, is it ready for the big screen? Does your novel have cinematic potential? Well, if so, Screencraft want to read it. That is right, they have their Screencraft Cinematic Book Writing Competition and they're looking for published and unpublished manuscript submissions. And that's important there. I said unpublished. Manuscript submissions that are ready for cinematic adaptation, including novels, novellas, true stories and biographies. So whatever you've got, if you've got one of those, send it to Screencraft. They want to know... Because the grand prize winner will receive 1,000 cash prize and a personal introduction to top, literally, literally, top literary managers. Uh, So top court finals will also have their projects shared with a special mention at screencraft.org. Their stacked panel, by the way, of industry judges includes literary agents, managers, screenwriters and editors who are looking for the next great story with the potential to be adapted to the screen. Could that be you? You listening, you. Is that you? Submissions are open now. Take advantage of the early deadline discount. But hurry, that discount ends on September the 30th, which is literally tomorrow. So if you've got one, you've got a novel ready, novella, whatever it is, get onto screencraft.org now and go have a look. Link to that is in the show notes. Huge shout outs this week to some amazing people. But first of all, to Mitch Tolliday, because... His feature film, which is called Murder Ballads, I have come on board to help Mitchell because Mitchell got in touch. He'd been listening to the podcast and he said, hey, any chance of a shout out? Can you have a look at Murder Ballads? What do you think? I had a look. I loved it. The script was brilliant. The team were amazing. I said, well, why don't I help you out a bit further? Uh, So I'll come on board. I've come on board to help the amazing team behind Murder Ballads. It's on Greenlit now. They are trying to raise £10,000 for their budget to make this feature film. Moment, they're nearly at four grand and they've only been going uh, just under a week. They've got another three weeks to go, so please go support if you can. Link to Murder Ballads is in the show notes. It's an independent feature set in the rock and roll world of rock and roll. It's a dark comedy of six interconnected stories that chart the rapid rise and violent fall of a dysfunctional rock band called Stack of Corpses who are willing to do anything for success. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. That is ace. That is ace. Uh, so go to Murder Ballads on Greenlit and check it out. Please do. Uh, Mitchell Tolliday, Neil Rickatson and the whole team are amazing. So shout out to this week. Go to... Simon, uh, at MovieFan99 on Twitter. Mark Coleman, at Simon on Film. Jed Bryan, legend. Uh, the Video Jungle... Nathan Root and Bad Movie Night. Thank you, everyone. Okay, let's get to it. This is our episode with the amazing Caroline Goodall, myself, Giles Alderson, and Robbie McCain. Enjoy. Thank you so much. You're all legends. And we will see you Friday for the special Class Bang episode. And then we'll see you on Tuesday for the Dare special podcast because the Dare will be released into the UK. Enjoy, everyone. Enjoy. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it all goes wrong, but um, first first time, it's it's great. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I am in Croatia. I apologise, but I then just moved on to a different router, so hopefully it's okay. Oh, fine. What are you doing in Croatia? 
I am, well, uh, you know how it's, we're all trying to go back to work, but um, the only mm -hmm. work that I've been doing, obviously, is pickups now. We're all starting, as of sort of August, September, um, movies that were put on hold because of COVID are starting to kind of come back together again. So I've been in Hungary um, and I shot um, the two days I needed to do on um, a film called Birds of Paradise, directed by Adina um, Smith, uh, Sarah Adina Smith, um, with Kristen Froseth and Diana Silvers and they're wonderful and it's all about ballet dancers. Um, and uh, so that was Budapest and then I had five days off and now I've come down to Dubrovnik uh, to Croatia to do five days on a movie called The Islander which mm -hmm. um, kind of cool it's sort of um, sci-fi apocalyptic steampunk um, end of the world stuff uh, where I play a kind of mystery baroness who actually is the admiral of the navy and the whole of the world has sunk and there's only little islands left, and whoever, of course, runs the biggest island is, you know, the guy. And uh, so I help run the biggest island. But you don't know if I'm a good or a baddie. And of course, Croatia is the perfect place to shoot it because it's fantastic. The water is amazing, and there's islands everywhere, and um, I'm, it's kind of nice. So you come back, the protocols are crazy, and you come back and you kind of quarantine and self-isolate for a week with, with no hardship, I have to say. That. It's not too bad, is it, right? You can read a book, watch a bit of telly for a while. It's not like you're in a prison, is it? It's like, well, all right, I'll... Uh... I won't show you the view out that window because you're going to hate me. But right. it's, it's about 28, 30 degrees. Um, wow. Yeah. So I can see a little view over your left shoulder there. Yeah, and yeah, that's the town. That's just sort of... Oh, that's just like, the beautiful yeah. town with the river and stuff. You know, <laughs> I, can tell you, I, can tell you, I was hoping we could sit on the terrace, actually, but I'm not sure if the Wi-Fi is going to go that far. But um, yeah. no, no, I'm, I'm, I won't crow, but I am enjoying it. And then I'm going to start work next Wednesday. How wonderful the fact that you can go straight back to work, go straight from, you know, uh, Budapest to there. I, I love the fact that the world is starting again now in terms of the film world a little yeah. bit. It's kind of moving and that's good. It can only be good for filmmaking, right? Oh, God, yes. I mean, it's just terrible. The main issue is anything that um, had started shooting and still has some form of insurance is able to keep going because COVID, of course, wasn't in the insurance policies. Mm. Um, anything that has to start now, uh, COVID, obviously, um, any communicable disease actually is no longer in policy. And so it's very, very difficult for investors, for filmmakers. The actors, of course, are the most vulnerable because we can't wear PPE. So we get tested daily. I've just got so used to being tested. Um, you know, I, I have to say, I don't know many films that haven't got a problem. I mean, we just you know Batman's just happened, but mm -hmm. uh, we had The Matrix. It happened. That was mm -hmm. the COVID thing. Um, then I think there was something else in the UK. There was even a little minor scare in the Amazon movie I did as well. Uh, so, yeah, we're all just having to suck it up and just be really really good yeah and be and, and why not and i think if only it it'll stay that way as long as people don't abuse it and sort of go well i'm just going to go out anyway and then it, you don't see people get get it because people are doing wrong but if you're all good and you're staying in your bubbles and you're doing the job of being an actor or being a producer or a director then i think it can be safe it can work um we can do this and we can keep going, which I think is important. I think um, what's really interesting for me as well to, to chat to you is not only did we meet that wonderful time uh, after Anna and the Apocalypse screening and have a lovely drink in the pub, which was fantastic, um, is the fact that you've worked for so long on so many amazing films and TV. And interestingly, recently uh, you've done um, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard and uh, Hunter Killer, both at the Bulgarian studio where I shot my movie The Dare. Oh, yeah. And you were there, which is really weird, pretty much at the same time as me. And I think that's like on and off between those times. It's like how funny that we didn't cross paths when we were there. But how great that you shooting over in Bulgaria is amazing. Shooting at the studio there must have just been. And on those films as well, such uh, such fun. Yeah, I mean, they always are. I mean, I, I think 
the interesting thing is now, of course, having written and produced a film like you, you see, you're a bit of a slashy. Um, so you know how yeah. it is to put lots of different hats on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people have asked me, they said, oh, well, you know, now it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, you're writing, you know, you're producing and writing and not just acting and acting so much easier. And, blah, blah. and, you know, in a funny way, I don't know if it is. I actually think acting is one of the hardest things in the world um, because you are having to dig down all the time. You've got to be so ready and so on it at every moment. Um, the... You know, because you know that otherwise you're holding a whole bunch of people up. Um, And, uh, you know, time is money. Um, And I think you're not being yourself. And I I have to say the one thing I really enjoyed uh, about being a producer on Bay was I could just be me. Um, And apart from that, I could also take my own time. So I didn't always have to come in at the crack of dawn. Um, <laughs> and, I, yeah. um, and I really found that quite liberating, I have to say. I really did. Uh, but at the same time, I'm just so loving. I, I didn't stop in front of the camera. I kept going because I had commitments. And, you know, certainly when you're moving into post, um, as producer, you know, you do have some time on your hand. You're waiting for edits to come through, and you can do things remotely. So, uh, in order, you know, to keep um, uh, you know roof over everyone's head, uh, I did actually continue working, which was nice. Yes, I keep saying no. I, I still have the day job. Yes. Yeah. It's the acting. It's not too bad of a day job, really. It's not too bad, is it? And like, but it is difficult. You are right. It is difficult. And when you're wearing all those hats, it can be really difficult. And the fact that you starred, produced and wrote uh, Bay of Silence is just, it's great. It's wonderful. The fact that you got it made, the fact that you were part of that team. And as far as I can see, and please uh, tell me if I'm wrong, is that that's your first main producing credit as well. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and it's my first sort of feature writing credit too um impressive and uh, as i said it's like literally from pen to paper to point of sale um and you know of course there's so many people who you meet along the way along the journey and you know that who um you know who take the leap of faith with you so it is an incredible team effort but um i don't think i realized when i started that you know my name was, I was signing. When <laughs> 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 always it came back to me. And so that, because if you're the one who's ultimately signing everything and it's your company and it's your, you know, you package it and raise the money and all the rest of it, you're then employing people. So mm-hmm. then of course, when something goes wrong or something, something hits the fan and they go, so what do you think? And you go, well, didn't I employ you so that you were going to be able to figure that out? And at the end, you realize that the buck does stop with you. Um, and I think I had to really try and grow into that. I kept looking over my shoulder wondering, you know, oh, there's no one there. <laughs> there's no one there to talk to or say, listen, I'm going to be in my trailer, okay? And you're like, you, you haven't got a trailer. You know what I mean? You're no, the producer no. now. The future, I, I was just saying to someone, it was so funny because I, I, Paula, you know, a wonderful director, did ask me to play a part. I didn't intend to. Uh, I'd originally written the role of Clay Bang's boss for um, a man because I felt he needed a friend um, mm. who he could confide in, but who was also slightly different to him, um, you know, perhaps more of a kind of player. But she felt quite rightly that we needed more women in, in the movie and more yeah. sort of authoritative women. So I ended up saying, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to work with Clay Bang and do a few scenes with him? But mm-hmm. I, I remember the second AD said to me, so um, you'll pick up tomorrow. And I said, sorry? And he said, yes, the car. I was like, Oh my God, someone's actually sending a car for me. That's amazing. But, well, normally you get there yourself, well, right? You know, I'm the producer, I just make my own way. <laughs> make my own way. Mm-hmm. And suddenly yeah. I was getting a taxi, totally. which is very nice. But which, of course, always is actually just about making sure that the stupid actor turns up on time. 
that's the only reason really but and the way you control that like you say is you pick them up they're definitely turning up then if the taxi's outside the house beeping the horn banging on the door i'm going to eventually open that and go all right i'm coming um let's talk about why you wanted to do this because we all know writing and producing anything is very difficult and very hard to get something off the ground and the fact that you are a very well established actress and very brilliant actress will have helped but at the same time it's still not that easy at all doesn't matter how established you are to write and produce something so why did you want to do this and why this idea, The Bear Science, which is terrific, by the way, absolutely terrific film, really well written, brilliantly performed across the board, you know, really great. Why why this project? Do you want to talk to us, to us uh, filmmakers out there, why screenwriting? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, <laughs> and uh, because I think I'm really stubborn. I don't like no for an answer. Um, I also, uh, I went to Bristol University, I did English and Drama at a time when we weren't really expected to be active, we meant to turn up and, you know, sort of be good arts administrators or directors or indeed writers and, you know, Jeremy Brock and Greg Duran who runs the RSC and mm. uh, Simon Curtis, so, you know, we're all kind of my contemporaries. Um, but uh, I, I ended up acting, I'd, I'd actually already um in those days, we needed equity cards uh, in order to be able to work. And I had actually done a, um, I'd left school and I'd spent my summer holidays uh, making a BBC television series. So I actually had that provisional equity card in my hand and I'd had a kind of little taste of what it was like to be a professional actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I went to uni to do my three years. But uh, that kind of meant that I could keep working while I was at university. And I was totally obsessed. I totally wanted to be an actor. It's the most, it it was for me everything because acting is about words Um, and writing is about words. It's, but which way you approach telling the story, it's two sides of the same coin. So I had always written, um, but I think I probably felt more comfortable um, and more confident um, interpreting other people's words because I do think it takes quite a lot of chutzpah really to to say I want people to sit up and listen to something that I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that adapting something from someone else's work also then can slightly put you at one remove, and that's sort of what I started doing. And by the time I came to the Bay of Silence, um, it had been percolating for quite some time, and I had written some other scripts. Um, and I'd even, you know, had... Um, I'd even been paid to write them, and it was always something that was there, but the acting side just had more traction because I was so lucky in that uh, after, you know, 10 years of doing theatre in the United Kingdom and being at the RSC and the National and, you know, thinking, you know, that I was basically a theatre actress, I found myself in Hollywood and I got hooked. And Mm -hmm. so the whole world of film opened up to me, but opened up to me in an extraordinary way. I'd been used to doing BBC series where, you know, everything was locked off. You have the master and then you've got the man. And, you know, it's all a bit static. And, you know, generally you might be period and have a hat. Um, (laughs) And, you know, here I was with the master, you know, genius of, he used to say motion motion picture because the picture is moving <laughs> i was watching move that camera and tell the story and i realized that the camera tells the story by moving just as much as the actors tell a story in their movements and when you get the two together that's when you create the amazing alchemy and that's what steven spielberg's genius is because out of that he can make you cry and you don't even know why because wow. it's something he's doing because he's pushing that camera really, really slowly into someone's face and you don't even know mm-hmm. it's happened until suddenly they're there. And to have, oh, my God, over six months at Sony Studios watching that, I'd go down every day. I was such a fan. Um, I'd hang out. I'd show people around set. Um, you know, there were you know obviously weeks when I had nothing to do because, you know, I kind of, chopped and tailed the story but you know there was no way that I wasn't going to be involved and you know watching and being a part of it 
Um, So that was my film masterclass and it blew me away. And I was very lucky in that I was able to continue working with extraordinary directors such as Ridley Scott and uh, Barry Levinson and uh, on and on. And uh, I felt completely blessed. And every time I worked felt like another masterclass for me. And so it just inspired me. I just thought, I don't know if I've got the guts to direct uh, because also at the same time, of course, we are in a world where it's very male dominated. Mm-hmm. And but I did think, well, maybe there's a chance for me to write something, and um, maybe I'll be able to, you know, in some small way, see it happen. And simultaneously, I was back in the UK working, and I was doing a lot of telly. And then I would be in Australia, I'd do something, and then there was runaway production. So we're all just working all over the place, and I was doing, you know tiny little budget movies to big budget movies and just enjoying being a part of it. I mean, I think I'm a bit of a, I've never had an ego or a sense that I had to be somewhere or arrive somewhere or be a person. It was just, is this, is the script good? Is it someone I want to work with? Yes. I'd be absolutely delighted to come and do it. Um, and I remember Maggie Smith saying that to me, I was like, oh, just darling, just work, just work. <laughs> just work, darling. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and she's so right. And I kind of always had this sense that at some point when my kids might be a bit grown up and I'd learned a bit more about the business that I might be able to just have a stab at, um, you know, maybe making my own movie. I love that. If you don't mind me asking you, the difference between someone like Spielberg and Ridley Scott and Levinson, can you put it into words how the difference takes on directing, they direct actors? Is there anything for our filmmakers can learn from how they work with actors and their genius? Well, I let's turn it around and say, what do they have in common? Great. Um, and what they have in common, I think, is curiosity empathy and communication and of course they're geniuses they're really good um i think steven spielberg has the extraordinary ability to compartmentalize in that he is a producer he is a writer he is a director and i remember very very clearly on schindler's list uh he was flying every weekend to um Go and do Jurassic Park or <laughs> Yeah. Paris to edit Jurassic Park. Mm. And uh, you know, I mean, I'm not sure how you keep that all in your brain, mm. but that was also the deal that he made with Universal with Sid Scheinberg, which is you need to finish this and it has to come out at this point. And yes, I will let you make your passion project. Um, if you must do it in black and white, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And all of that. So, um, but I, I think I think it's more what they have in common. They're extraordinary. They're able to tell stories. Now, of course, they will have different ways of shooting and different visions of what it is that it tells the story. And I do think that every filmmaker does have his own particular stamp um, of the, or her, the way they shoot. Because inevitably, just like a writer or just like a great actor, um, you know, you're bringing all of you to it. Um, and, you know, my husband works a lot with Terry Gilliam. And, uh, you know, Terry and Nicola have a very, very close um, working relationship and how they like to tell stories visually. Um, so from that point of view, I think, these artists are also completely different but that's also the beauty of it i think i think that's fascinating thank you so much for the insight on that and i totally agree the influences we take as filmmakers from all these filmmakers over the years and the fact that spielberg could do those two you know some people argue the best films of all time at the same time is incredible but i think what i find interesting with you is all those filmmakers you've worked with the influence you must have had over that time. So when you came to write The Bay of Science, well, you've read some of the best scripts in the world. You know, uh, you've been in some of the best films in the world. And suddenly now you're going, okay, well, I can put some of that influence into my writing. How did you approach it? Because it was a novel originally. How did you manage to approach yeah, it? I'm not sure. I wish to God, uh, you know, Steve Zalian had been him hard over my shoulder. Absolutely. Um, but no, I mean, I think in a way, you know, yeah, you 
Oh, gosh. But I mean, then it would I have was... been a Steve Zalian movie and not a Caroline Good well, movie. So. Well, you know, his movies can run to 200 pages. You know that, don't you? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think that you, I think it's like anything. There's instincts about what you hope might work, but you never really know until it's it's on its legs and it's there. And I think the irony about film is you know, a play you can kind of workshop and you can go back and forwards because, you know, but with film, yes, you can do a read-through. Of course, we had a read-through, but you don't really know. It's, it's, you write the film the first time on your own as a, the screenwriter's version, and then there's the version which goes into production, which inevitably is going to have um, the input of the director and of the lead cast because there's been rehearsals and you're sitting there and you're doing rewrites and you're going, yeah, oh, yeah, you're totally right. And, oh, God, no, 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 that bit doesn't add up, does it? No, oh, God. Uh, you know, or you need more here or you need more there. And then, of course, it's rewritten in production because sometimes mm-hmm. you're not getting what you need and you don't have um, a budget that's, you know, endless and you just have to go for what you can get. And then, of course, then you're in the edit. And it's written again a third time. So it's always a team effort. And I always see a screenplay as a roadmap for much smarter people, basically, to um, hack a path off that road and go around, uh, you know, if necessary. You know, um, I, I think because of my American experience where American actors just love to improvise um, and American directors don't care. I mean, also, you know, I work with Robin Williams. So, you know, Mm. the the only reason I got the job was because I could improvise. Um, And, uh, you know, that was kind of like an important thing. Um, And I've done a certain amount of stand-up, which no one really knows. Oh, wow. Okay. That would have helped with Robin then in that situation. You must have been like, right, how do I get a word in? I know, I'll use my comedy chops. And yeah, that must have been interesting. In fact, it was the other way around. It was funny. And at one point I I said, this is just during our audition, which was kind of so delicious and fun. It was just him and me and Stephen with a a video camera in those days. Um, And um, I said at one point, you're not saying anything. And he looked at me and he chuckled and he said, ah, but I've got the job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing He's like, i don't need to it's up to you know, it was just like so cool and at the same time just leaving me to hang out and drive <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, i love yeah. that that's really funny yeah. to talk about how you wrote it then so did you do you did you break it down into chapters did you put notes along the wall how did you actually oh, sit oh, and do um, this ah <laughs> uh, I don't know how do you do it. I think we all do it different ways. I think yes. the 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 book itself is actually written from two points of view, um, and I did toy with that. I originally thought, oh, this could be a really good sort of TV movie uh, or kind of like a series, and we could have it from both points of view, and you would see. But ironically, as I was doing it, that that wasn't so in at the time. It then, of course, now is completely in. I just saw the. The luminaries, I was like, oh, God. You know, multi-character is so in right now. I mean, have you read Linda Aronson's 20th Century Screenplay yet? No, no, that looks good. So good. It's all about multi-character, whereas prior to this, of course, it had to be the hero's journey, and it had to be linear, and we had to have the Mm -hmm. conflict. You know, and you're looking at Sid Field and every 10 minutes you have to have, you know, and you're, you know, breaking down Chinatown as the best script that's ever been done. And you say, well, you know, where's my point of no return and where am I? And, and you know, because because screenplays are structure. So I fiddled around for quite a long time, actually, just in a way using the book because it's so I found it so compelling saying, how do I how do I tell this story that is really about a man faced with two impossible choices and all drama is conflict and um you know i love psychological thrillers um i also really wanted to make a british film and this is a british book even though her name is lisa santaban de turin yeah amazing Uh, name and uh, her actually her father was jan carew who's a guyan guyanan um uh writer 
so she's had such a colorful life herself and she now lives in Mozambique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time she was living in Italy actually and I kind of tracked her down and I said, um, you know, I want to talk to you about this book. And she said, oh God, everyone is trying to do my books and no one seems able to because Mike Radford was trying to do Slow Train to Milan and someone else was trying to do Keep for the House. Um, and she said, I'm just so fed up with this. And um, we kind of became friends. And um, I said, well, if you'd just be kind enough, I don't have any money really to option it, but um, just let me know you know, what I can do. And um, so she was very generous and she gave me an option for, you know, a peppercorn amount that allowed me to just keep going on it. Because what happens to a lot of writer producers is that they get to a point where they've got a three-year option and it's Mm -hmm. running out and they've spent money and it's gone nowhere and Mm -hmm. they've been shopping it around and they just have to relinquish it and let it go. And then that's book then is re-optioned to somebody else Mm. and they go there but you know you know so many books have gone that way I've met people who you know perfume I think was possibly the Mm. classic yeah Yeah. Um, the unfilmable movie (laughs) but you know I I all sorts of people including uh Dustin Hoffman were attached to that at one point he wanted to direct it um so from that point of view, um, I was really lucky in that I uh, was able to pick it up and put it down. Um, and as time went by, I felt more and more that this should be a mystery thriller. Um, and um, through one person's point of view, and it was a man, and I certainly had no problems then, and I certainly still don't now, uh, with a woman writing, uh, you know, into a man's head and vice versa, you know. Really? <laughs> men have always done it for us. A hundred percent, yeah. And, uh, but also I think in looking at back at it now, as it's come out when it has, what I'm really pleased by is the response from men I talk to because they're part of this equation. Men are victims as well. Um, you know, sexual abuse, death of children, madness, not knowing your partner, you know, all those things Mm -hmm. happen to men as well. And I think Clay's performance of, you know, this ordinary man thrown into extraordinary circumstances, uh, which is, you know, kind of classic trope, but he plays it so well and he's so vulnerable and you really just relate to him. And when you get to that central moment, which was really, I think, the image that stayed with me and made me sort of start writing. You asked me where you start, and I actually did start in the middle, you know, in Medias Reyes. I started in the middle and worked out. That central moment, that fundamental turning point where he's on, he gets down to the beach and he sees the twins, and you've got this old-fashioned pram that we never really explain, which I love. <laughs> it's just there, yep. and it feels a bit Rosemary's Baby, and yeah. it's just a fantastic kind of trope. Um, and um, that image just stayed with me, and these two little, these twins sort of fighting, and what's inside, and this image of this man moving towards it, and the mystery that you know, and you kind of want to kind of reach in to the screen and say, don't touch <laughs> Go away. Don't look. Um, And, you know, I I don't know. I was just, I found that just really inspiring. And I thought, okay, we've got to kind of make this work. Um, And then increasingly, uh, because it got linear, um, I just felt we have to see it through his eyes. Um, If you look at Don't Look Now, which was Mm -hmm. the Vanishing film, yeah. Yeah. Don't Look Now and The Vanishing were. real inspirations to me because you are discovering at the same time as the protagonist what is going on and actually if you I did look again and there are a few moments in Don't Look Now where actually you're not with Donald Sutherland you're actually with her Mm. but there's not very many Um, and you generally if you think back on that film you think whose eyes am I looking through and it's it's Donald Sutherland yeah it's his point Um, of view yeah yeah, and um, so in the same way, that kind of classic throwback 
70s sort of feel, I really hoped that we'd be able to find that. And I take my hat off to Guido van Genep, who shot it, and he looked at a lot of, um, you know, Nick Rogue, bad timing, mm. uh, and mm. also cinematically was doing some very interesting things where, you know, you'd have a lot of, you know, dark in one side of the screen and then the close-up of the person would be sort of there and we used anamorphic lenses mm -hmm. uh, and we were very kind of careful about the three worlds that we're inhabiting, the kind of the light and the sun of the Italian world, which mm -hmm. is sort of magical and love and about potential, uh, even though we know uh, by the time we get to the end that there's a sting there. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have London that starts off really very upbeat and kind mm -hmm. of fun. And yeah, the house is great, all that stuff is really yeah, upbeat, yeah. Cultural kind of party, mm -hmm. you know, and it's all, you know, they're kind of so bohemian. And um, then we get down the rabbit hole when we get to Normandy, France, and it becomes very gothic and um, almost sort of, you know, desaturated. And this extraordinary gothic house on the cliff that we found that was actually in St. Abbs, in Scotland, wow. um, we went north. We went the borders of, um, you know, the Scottish borders and, and Newcastle um, up there to shoot, partly because I promised from having been on the board of the Newcastle Film Festival that if I did make the movie, I would go north and I would, and I kept my promise. Um, but also um, we knew that we'd probably find a little isolated village and we found this amazing village. It's like a little, you know, just a little row of houses, like a little ribbon of houses right crouching on the coast on, in this really kind of weird black rock, seaweed-filled kind of place. Um, and then St. Abbs has this house that's right on the cliff and... They let us, obviously, we work a bit with the art department. So it had that kind of gothic feel, gables. And it may not be terribly French, but um, there's something just so wonderfully psycho about it. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, of course, you are going into a completely different world and you're asking the audience to follow you there, to follow Will into that world, into that strange place where he doesn't speak the language and unspeakable things are about to happen. And... Uh, you know, he's going to find that his wife, um, you know, is in an attic, locked out of her mind, you know, in, in, in one of those completely melodramatic gothic ways, uh, like, you know, your classic gothic uh, stories, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's time. So, mm. you know, there's all those kind of references and all those things that are mixed in, um, which you know, layered in that you probably don't notice immediately. And then later on, if you go back, if, uh, you know, like I definitely have to go back to Tenet. So Chris mm -hmm. and I sure, <laughs> sure, everyone does. Yeah. Maybe if you want to go back to their silence, you might see some other things in there as well. Totally true. Um, it's, yeah. It's fantastic uh, to hear you discussing all these kind of cinematic and literary antecedents of the a film of this genre because, um, yeah, and it's, as I was thinking exactly the same thing. It's like it's almost like a a Clouseau film, like Diabolique, or like a sort of classic oh, Hitchcock you. kind of thriller. Like it's got all those sort of layers in. It's it's definitely you're in that sort of uh, vibe and tone with a with a film like this. So it's just such a nice. Uh, it's sort of familiar, but also sort of sinister <laughs> in a way. Yeah, so. I, think, I think that's the idea is that, you know, it's sort of familiar te familiar territory, but you kind of go with it and you're kind of happy. It's like, oh, mm. good. It's, it's a movie like that. And and we're not messing with you particularly. Um, yes, it's got a lot of twists and turns. And, you know, yes, there is a sort of reveal or two. But, I mean, when I, I get a little annoyed actually at the moment with a certain that there's a sort of seems to be a trend where they're so messing with the audience head in terms of uh multi-character in terms of um unreliable narrators yeah. mm -hmm. um and I, it's nothing worse than spending you know or even now it can be a whole television series. Totally, 10 hours yeah. of your life gone. Yes, and then you realise that you're actually being... Yeah, hoodwinked. You know, the rug's been put, you've been hood hoodwinked. Yeah, cheated. And so 
I didn't sort of want that to happen. I hope that, you know, people discovered what they discover at the same time as he does mm, yeah. um, as well. Now you've, uh, created, you've created something and it's amazing that this is your first well feature that's got made in terms of a writer, but it's just, it's a very professional, very well written you know it's very just well delightful. oiled machine it's yeah. very well oiled absolutely <laughs> was there a point because you're a producer as well and this is the problem when we're writer producer star director whatever it is is we very find it very difficult to know when to stop as in i'll just do another draft i'll tweak that so when was your when did your producer head come on and go yeah do you know what that script's fine now and let's get on with making it um i think around 2000 and seems always so long ago now isn't it about mm. to, to about 2013 14 oh um, wow that is yeah that is long yeah, time. Well, out, god well we did we, we started shooting 2018 look i i kept writing all the way through of course you know ever since i saw kathy kennedy wafting onto the set of hook um <laughs> wafting. She, yeah she's an old one was gliding really <laughs> in, her, in her perfect floating mm. so calm um, I always just, you know, was just so impressed by women producers and thought that could be kind of cool. I want to learn this. And so I, I did the producers forum in Cannes and I realized that what you needed to do is put your head down, um, keep very below the radar. That was my kind of MO really. And, um, just work really hard and, just march up and down, try and find a sales agent. I remember literally banging on doors at uh, Lowe's in Santa Monica. Um, and, uh, you know, I uh, came across a sales agent who was, you know, happy to talk to me. They didn't actually take on the film, but introduced me to Peter Gard, who uh, is one of the greats who uh, founded Zentropa, who I then met in Berlin. I mean, it just all goes like that. And just keeps rolling on, yes, it, once it, you do the work, yes. I, I realised that business plans and finance plans are what it's about. Um, mm-hmm. And I also, because I had been on so many movie sets and worked in so many countries and had obviously talked to people, I realised that things were financed in very different ways wherever you are. And in the UK, we have a particular way of financing. And in the US, uh, there's an equity-led way of financing. Um, Europe is very much driven by grant funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, if I can do a hybrid version of this, um, then maybe I've got a chance. Because I call it preferred customers. I'm not a preferred customer of anyone. Okay. I'm wrong age. I'm probably the wrong sex. I'm probably the wrong everything. I don't tick any boxes. And I knew that I was not going to get that coveted broadcast tick of approval, which Mm -hmm. you need to get in the UK from uh, the BBC or Channel 4 or whoever or the big uh, distributor, even if I had value talent on board. Uh, because that's the most important thing, of course, as well, is to have talent that, you know, they can then look at the sales figures and say, well, yes, we think the estimates are going to be this. And so you can therefore get pre-sales. So I just realized that I had to do sort of boots up and learn it. And actually, I found it really kind of fun. And I think the turning point came for me um, was... I don't know, I was in some sales suite probably in one of the markets and um, someone said, so, you know, so what's the film about? <laughs> and yeah. so bored. Yeah, a hundred pitches that day, bored, 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 yeah. And, and here's another film. Uh-huh. And I said, so the finance plan is um, 30% pre-sales. We've already pre-sold to airlines and we've already got pre-sales. And And I started talking the finance plan. And I said, X amount of equity and I just need that little piece there. And, of course, then there's the tax credit and the soft money and I've got some soft money out. And suddenly you saw them just get closer and closer because you were talking their language. Yes. And that was the thing I realised is – they are financiers. Mm-hmm. They there's only three plots. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> they've seen every what they what they want is the magic bullet is Liam Neeson in it. Yes, exactly. Oh, if it's not Liam Neeson, who have you got that's got some value for us? And mm-hmm. I have to say, I mean, because 
we're doing a filmmakers podcast here. What I love is when you, know, you, you talk to people and they say, oh, wow, you know, and I was talking to Lionsgate and they said, if I can get so-and-so and if I can get so-and-so, then they're going to give me all the money. Yeah. And well, you I think thought, if you get so-and-so, you're going to get all the money anyway from wherever, right? Exactly. I said, well, yeah, but then you might as well just go to Universal. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you might as well just go to the top. So what's, and, and, and it's that thing, they lead us along and we're naive and then, of course, the next thing is, of course, is that you are signing your life away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, hello. hello. Oh, uh, excuse me. I've actually got a doctor who's going to do a COVID test for me. Oh, can we do, oh, okay. to do this live? This would we be could. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It'd be amazing. <laughs> I'll just let you know. <laughs> <laughs> the first. This is a first on the focus because a COVID test for her film, Caroline's yeah. film, live. Caroline wasn't joking when she said she gets tested daily for COVID. Oh, have you come outside? Yes, of course. Okay, hold on a second. I'm terribly sorry. You're not going to see this because I have to go outside to do it because, of course, we're social distancing. But it'll be three seconds. Perfect. No problem. I love that. We'll get to describe what it's like when she comes back from her COVID test live. (laughs) Oh, filmmaking. Right there. Oh, that one was good. What, what what happened? What did they actually What did they actually do? Um, I've had so many now. Um, this one was just up my nose. Oh, what all the way up? This sounds quite unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, um, did they, what was it they put up? A swab, or did they put a? Yeah, it's just like a very long Q-tip. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, but um. I've had in in Italy they go down the throat and they do each nostril. Uh, last week in London it was down the throat and each nostril. In Hungary it was just throat swabs. Um, right. Any other country? No, that's it so far. And this is Croatia. Oh, it's down the throat bit that does me. I'd have to do nose down the throat. I couldn't do directly down the throat. I'd just be gagging. That'd just I be horrible. Mind. I don't have a problem with down the throat, but um, wow, I can't struggle. And you know, some of them are really good at it. And Feather, I wouldn't say he's a, he's he's a feather. <laughs> <laughs> this guy shoving a Q-tip up your nose was not the best. Failed. <laughs> this is our lives now, you know. Yeah. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Just to be able to work. You mentioned there and you're saying the investors and when you were talking to them about cast and when you're in Cannes and you wear all these places you go and you're pitching. During any of these points, had you brought cast on board? Had you gone there first before you got money in place? Um, look, it's always chicken and egg and you know this yourself mm-hmm. as, being, as being a filmmaker. Um, so is that the bells out the window? Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like church bells. Yes, it is. They go off quite a lot. It's very Catholic here. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, cast, yes. Um, was anyone involved early on? Yes, in that uh, Brian. Brian was always there for right. me. Brian uh, Cox, yeah. Brian, amazing. Brian, I just can't thank him enough. Um, he has my heart. He he and I met in 1985. We're going back a very long time. Wow. At the Royal Shakespeare Company. And he played my dad, Tarleton, in a Bernard Shaw play called Miss Alliance. And I was Hypatia in a ridiculous wig. Um, And we spent six months together at RSC and um, became great friends. And his kids know my, you know, well, his kids are older than my kids. But, you know, we just, we always seem to be in step. So when he moved to Hollywood, I was there. And at one point, he even rented my house. At one point, I rented his house. Um, you know, we just, families, my sister, you know, everybody, we just are like family. And Brian said, um, sure, you know, in that way that all us actors do, because we don't like to let anybody down. Sure, sure. You know, when you get it going, I'll be there for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was, because it's very easy at that point to say, well, I'm terribly sorry, I'm awfully busy and good luck. But he really was there for me, and I am just so grateful. And he's brilliant because I needed someone like Brian for that role because not – and it's the same with Place and Olga. I needed archetypes. Mm. I mean, Place is like Jimmy Stewart. 
Olga is um, a Rosalind Russell. Um, She's amazing, isn't she? um, Brian also, you know, he is, um, you know, he's just all of those amazing, uh, you know, actors. Rolled into one. one. He's just a a, a firecracker, isn't he? Brian is also, he's like a secret weapon because other actors always want to work with Brian as well. Yeah, and that must have helped massively going into rooms, pitching, having him attached. In, I mean, I think, yeah, that certainly helped. I have to say, um, they always want huge movie stars. And, you know, Brian now, because, of course, of Succession and, and you know, the Emmy and, and Golden Globes mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they're saying, yeah, but he's a third lead. You know, who's... Who's the first and second lead? You know, we also, you know, we can't, we, we can't sell a film, you know, it's brilliant, but we can't sell that film on the third lead. He's not in it enough. Yes. Uh, but what he does is he also, of course, gives such gravitas to the um, project and uh, certainty to it. And, of course, um, he is a great actor magnet. So when I told Olga that um, he was in, involved and place they were just like oh yeah okay thank you we're in and Brilliant. then of course, the important thing is is that you know they have to like the script and uh, then there has to be time in their schedule to be able to fit it all in and to be able to do it yes and the director as well so I mean, it's you've you've what you've done, and and so many filmmakers out there who haven't done this yet, or those who have, it's a really amazing achievement to do this, to pull together a feature film with amazing talent, and it to be fantastic and a brilliant film. It's a really, really huge achievement. You should be very proud. Uh, I'm proud of you. Um, I think it's just wonderful, really wonderful. I've joined your club now. Yes, <laughs> you are. You're part of the podcast team now. The yeah. podcast. Now, now you just you have to direct the next one, Caroline. That's what you have to yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to, but um, I'm not going to. I've always had a problem with people who think that they deserve anything. If that makes sense. They, uh, yes. Yeah. They deserve a career because they studied something. They yeah. deserve this or that I don't think anyone deserves anything I do believe you need your 10,000 hours and more um and um not that you can't give people a leg up or hope that someone's going to help you I do believe that we need to be as inclusive as possible um and to help each other as much as possible and this isn't an industry that necessarily does that this is an industry that really kind of is rather thrilled when people fail um it's like, oh, good, then now's room for me now. I can try. Because it's so competitive. And I think increasingly because it's less of a mystery now. When I was starting, the whole idea of making movies was such a mystery. Um, even acting in front of a camera was mm-hmm. a mystery. Um, there were techniques that you kind of had to learn. Now everybody is just raised with a phone and putting themselves on tape, on camera. Mm-hmm there's very few people who haven't been raised with a camera in front of them. And as a result, you've got fantastic actors, I think, you know, and, and fantastic filmmakers mm-hmm. out of that because the mysteries disappeared. Yes. But I think there's also a sense of there's just more people who want to do it a bit because of the fact that the gates are wider open. There's not a union issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only real issue is financial, uh, yeah. but, but now, Ken, we, we can, you know, if we get the right people together, we can do it pretty cheaply. It doesn't mean it looks that good. No, you're right. But you can do it. And I love what you said there about putting the 10,000 hours in. It's so true. People do expect things to fall in their lap and they get disappointed. But I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? Yeah. You've, you've got to do the work. And I bang on about it on this podcast all the time. But it's so oh, true. If, well, if, if, yeah. <laughs> but if you work hard, things will happen for you. They just You've just got to keep grinding it out. You do have to. It's so difficult, this business. But if you're there and you're doing the work, eventually things will start to go. And if you've got a modicum of talent, hopefully a really big amount of talent, then things will move for you properly. Um, yeah, I think that's true. I also think that, you know, we never quite know what a chance meeting or a follow-up will bring Um, certainly found that when looking for my amazing you know I've got four amazing investors none of whom I knew all of whom I might say are American 
Wow. Um, I banged on a lot of doors in the UK, and the only way you get investment in the UK, and I, I you know, I, I do have um, obviously a senior lender who have been fantastic. I have to say, MFC have been amazing, and patient, and creative, and David Gilbury is a producer as well as uh, uh, a financier, and I think they're just a fantastic outfit. Um, amazing. But, you know, generally in the UK, they want to be senior lenders, uh, which is first out um, mm-hmm. and a hefty premium that is taken out of the budget. Yes. Um, and they obviously don't want to be equity because equity takes longer, hopefully, to, you know, hopefully there will be a return. Um, and the Americans, because they have a model which is more equity based, are more uh, open to investing in film so um but it really just all came out of chance meetings and business plans um i have one set of investors because i went to a charity event um that um i'm an ambassador at small charity and um the guy who you know who owns the charity said he couldn't go and he said is there any chance that you can go down to texas and do this for me because we generally raise most of our money for the year from odessa Mm-hmm. Um, and would you go? And um, I said, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was from that that I then met these amazing people who love movies, and we got talking. And they so when I finally sent out my business plan, my fifty-two page business plan, <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, be, um, yeah. I just thought, who am I writing? And I just sort of sent it out into the ether, you know, email, and they came back. And said, oh, great, you know, can you send us the script? We really liked it. I was thinking, they're not going to like the script. Yeah, they're just saying that. They're and, being nice, yeah. Sandra came, they came back and she said, I love this. Um, she said, this is so up my alley. And I'm thinking, wow. Texas. Texas. <laughs> <laughs> is there any bit of advice you could give someone starting out or someone who is in the business now wanting to carry on that you've learned over your time a nice nugget i mean obviously you've given so much uh to someone now from what you've learned stay passionate never say never and don't give up because there will always be someone and it's happened to me i'm sure it's happened to you always someone is going to say no and Mm -hmm. you can't and it's not possible, whether it's your parents who really want you to get a proper job. uh, (laughs) Still. (laughs) 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 Schindler's List, come on. (laughs) Come on, Mum, I was in Schindler's List. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Or a partner or just a teacher. Yeah. Who knows? There's always going to be someone along the line who is just going to dig and make you feel bad. And you're going to maybe spend a lot of time trying to get that little voice out of your head, telling yourself that what you think you can do, you can do. Um, And the other thing I would say is just any opportunity that happens to come your way, just don't ever say no. I mean, I had no clue I was going to land up in Hollywood. It was the last thing I thought I was going to do. I wanted to be a dame of the British stage. Um, and sad, I'm not. <laughs> and, but, and I found myself, because I actually went for all sorts of other reasons, um, and, uh, you know, I was actually following my heart. Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll go there for a couple of months, see how it works, and, you know, if this relationship works out, which it didn't. But I really fell in love with Los Angeles. I found it a meritocracy. It's a free-for-all out there. Anyone can do anything and just go and do it. And the beauty now is that those gates are down. You can upload things to whatever you want to upload it to. You can get it out there. In COVID times, we now know that those windows have disappeared. Mm -hmm. It's all streaming and you can find an audience. You can data drive so you know who your niche audience is mm-hmm. we're not just throwing something at a wall and hoping it sticks yes. um it's a wild west i don't know where we're going um i'm really happy that i've had the journey i've had and i'm really really grateful that you know i started when i did to be honest and uh was able to be in i would say what they're now saying was the golden age of movie making which was the 90s Yes. Uh, when we didn't have much in the way of visual effects and things were done kind of properly and slowly. 
Um, and maybe in the age of COVID, we now have to do everything slowly again. <laughs> maybe we do. <laughs> Um, this is this has been amazing. The Bear Science is an incredible movie. It's out on the twenty eighth of September. Uh, do go watch it. It's so good. Uh, listen, Caroline, thank you so much. You're an inspiration, huge inspiration. <laughs> anyway, it's been really fun, and I'm sorry, and I hope you can edit this. And <laughs> no, it's been, it's of course we can, but still, some amazing stories. I loved it. And let very soon in a pub we need it yeah absolutely let's do it we do need this and remember you can go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen uh, and just as caroline goodall has done there she's gone out there even though she's a, a well-established actress she still had to grind and work hard and put in the hours and now she's got the film the bay of silence starring some amazing people out now into the world you can do the same um it, and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty robbie to send the elevator back down, Giles. Send that elevator right to the ground. Send it, send it to Robbie. Send it right to Robbie. Uh, you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. You can follow me at Robbie McCain. Thank you so much, Robbie, uh, for joining us on this. Caroline Goodall, you are a star. Thank you. Take care. And remember our episode with the amazing Klaus Bang, who does star in Bay of Silence. We'll be out on Friday. It'll be a bonus episode. It'll be nice and short, but he's a legend. So enjoy that on Friday. And remember, next Tuesday is our episode with a load of the Dare cast. I'm going to try and get as many as I can on. And we're all going to chat about how we made the movie The Dare. And I'm just going to promote the shit out of it because that's the kind of twat I am. But hey, (laughs) (laughs) hey, it's my podcast. I can do what I want. But anyway, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next week.